less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Well, what's up, uh, Cash Flow Contractors? This is the part where normally Khalil says to me, how you doing, Martin? And I would say, how you doing, Khalil, except he's not here. You just have me today. He's on his way to uh, Houston. I say you just have me, you just have me and our guest, Bruce Ross, who is uh, coming to us from New Zealand. And the thing I always think about New Zealand and uh, Australia is kids in Oklahoma, if you say you're digging a hole, you're going to dig a hole to China. Well, that's not where you'd wind up. If you point straight down from Norman, Oklahoma, where I'm sitting, you'd come out of the earth just a few miles west of Perth, Australia. So Bruce is about as far away as you can get from Oklahoma without starting to come back. (laughs) But what that means is we get a different perspective on life and we also get to hear a really cool uh, accent. So Bruce, before I introduce you, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. I'm looking forward to this conversation, seeing what unfolds. Yeah, me too. Um, Just a little bit about Bruce. Bruce operates in the realm of uh, inner game of leadership. So this, uh, this podcast is about leadership and mindset. Uh, he operates or his approach to leadership development is research-based and has been honed over 37 years of working directly with a full spectrum of leaders from emergent uh, companies through established companies. The resulting framework that he's developed is designed to equip leaders to maintain a solid VUCA which he has defined in his bio, but I'll let him uh, do that further. Um, and at the moment, we're expecting uh, experience in VUCA on steroids. And I will say that's a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. I don't know why you think things are uncertain nowadays, Bruce. Yeah, shocking, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What's going on? I don't know what's yeah, like yeah. down there. But Bruce has spoken to over uh, 35 or 33 annual conferences and been published internationally on the topic of leadership and ac- or accessing peak mental performance. Plus, he's personally coached over 1,200 business owners, which is uh, leaders and entrepreneurs. That's very uh, impressive to me. I thought I was experienced and I've done about 320. So, Bruce, um, anything you'd like to add about uh, who Bruce is? Hmm. Um, This is um, the area of leadership has been a fascination for me. And um, the, what inspired it actually was being crushed by an inept leader. So I had someone in my experience and uh, I had high regard, high respect because he had this position, but he eviscerated others and myself in public. And I couldn't understand that. I couldn't comprehend what was going on and why. And so I didn't, I felt powerless to be able to take him on. So I researched what was it, what was leadership? And so I started reading books. And uh, that's where. You know, that was whatever it is, 30 odd years ago. And it's the grit in the oyster that created the pearl oh, and, the, and the different layers of information. And, and it's where I am today. And it's, uh, I'm passionate about the area of leadership. 
Um, and that's not, you've got multiple versions of leadership. And what I have realized is that I used to hold the view that leaders were that person, you know, they'd be the extrovert on a white char- white horse charging into the, into the great unknown saying, follow me, um, all seeing, all doing, all knowing. And I've subsequently come to realize that no, it's actually about how you help others develop and grow. So more of a servant, I'm more of a servant leader styled leadership person. Well, I love that because uh, I just, just a little bit about me. I've been in business for 46 years now and mindset and leadership were topics that uh, when I was on my own in my own companies, I, I acknowledge that they exist, but I, I used to think of it as just a bunch of touchy feely garbage. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. but that's, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you can read all these books about it and I'm glad you just provided that definition because all of the books I've read over the years, none of them have ever actually defined leadership uh, or none that I can recall. And it was kind of like, well, how do you, how do you go after something when you can't even define what it is? And so, and in speaking to our audience, we have a lot of uh, contractors and I always imagine them driving around in their pickup trucks, worrying about what's going on today. I think everybody I've had contact with understands that there is such a thing as leadership, but very few, well, few, less than the majority pay any attention to it and try to hone their skills and, and become better at it. And that's kind of what you do. Is it not help people do that? Yeah. So my definition of leadership, and I would say it's mine, um, and 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 some part it errs on the side of more the touchy feely side is releasing the brilliance. Well, well hey, I'm, by the let me say this: <laughs> when I started coaching eleven years ago, I started reading some uh, self help books, things like that, along with technical books. Yeah. And I came to understand. I didn't finish my point at all. Um, my bad. I came to understand that leadership and mindset is where the action is. The rest of the stuff is just kind of tools. So I've done a one eighty completely. Right, right. Uh, but that's not what I thought way back when. I just thought that's a, that's a pain. So I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem. Um, yeah, my definition is releasing the brilliance with others. Wow. So how do you, how do you, how do you think of it a bit like a parent? They, they're looking to grow the brilliance of their kids. Same concept. So you've got to nurture them, you've got to support them, you've got to give them tough love sometimes, you've got to provide a role model. Um, and and uh, you've got to listen to them and, and acknowledge them as being young humans on the way up or um, the people who are around you. I, I believe the quality of a leader is the ability to create self-leaders around them. And that is people who have clarity, have understanding, have choices and therefore they stay with you because they want to as opposed to they have to. So um, I think one of the elements of a leader is can they generate loyalty and one of the biggest ways to generate loyalty or how do you know when you've generated loyalty is that your team, your staff, give of their discretionary effort. So you've got your mandated effort which is you're paid to be here between whatever it is, 7.30 and 5 or you know 9 and 5, whatever. That's the mandated effort. You're paid to be here. But discretionary effort is above and beyond. So I was speaking to a young lady yesterday, uh, a lady that I coach, 
and she was telling me that um, that here in New Zealand we're quite fortunate in that we're not in lockdown, um, but some companies have um, chosen to work from home three days a week and uh, yeah, home three days a week and at work two days a week. You know, you can do it however you want to. And she went in on one of the days where people were working from home, and she and she went in early, and she saw she was surprised to see one of her staff members there. Uh, he wasn't supposed to be. He was supposed to be at home. And what he had done, he had bought a frame, um, an empty frame, and he had printed pictures of the of each of the individuals inside the company and uh, team photos and this sort of thing, and put it up there. And he wanted that to be a surprise for everyone when they came back to work. So they'd walk in, and he, so he had Christmas decorations around it to make it really look nice. But he'd been in there for an hour putting all this stuff up, and obviously he spent time blowing up pictures and so forth. And he just wanted it to be a pleasant and positive surprise for his for his mates. And I thought, wow, that's what I call discretionary effort. Hey, and this I, was it, not the boss. This was no. But she walked in and found him. Found him doing that because she went wow. in. She wasn't, yeah. And she said, "What are you?" Doing? And then she looked up, and, and it was just. And what's interesting is that she says, "I don't think I'm a very good boss." And I'm going, "You what?" I mean, the evidence is right there. But that's probably one of the qualities. If you're worried about being a good boss, you are probably being a good boss because you're always looking for better, always looking for improvement, always asking questions of yourself. Well, how can I do this better? And how can I work with them? And how do I get the best out of them? And um, uh, what is it I'm doing that's stifling them? And, and a whole range of questions, which is you could. There's a parallel, direct parallel with parenting. If you're worrying about being a good parent, you're probably being a good parent. Um, as opposed to assuming and you've got to do it my way and, and all the rest of it. So I, I I was just gobsmacked when I heard her telling the story and she was still humble going, yeah, well, I don't know if I'm being a good leader or not. I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, mandatory, manda- mandated versus discretionary effort. I wrote that down because uh, I'm going to hang on to that one. That is a, that's an insightful gauge. I hadn't, ever thought of it that way, but it makes total sense. That implies they want to be there as opposed to being done, um, being forced forced to do it. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you, is there a a question or statement I've heard in the past? Leaders are, are born, not made. When do you, do you, do you buy into that? And then that's going to carry us into, I'm going to presume given what you do, that they can be made. Yeah. And so how we might go about doing that. So first question, you know, do they have to be born or Mm. can anybody be a leader with the proper attention and and training? And yeah, so I subscribe to, yes, anyone can. Um, But I've got to recognize that there are certain traits which do enable leadership, uh, a a leadership orientation. So size, (laughs) you know, if you mean taller. Yeah, physical. Oh, really? Physical. Okay. Yeah, because uh, if there if there's a taller, bigger person, um, I think it's maybe part of evolution, and they are the biggest, strongest. We tend to look to them, right. um, often and, mistakenly. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And the extroverts, you think, well, extroverts because they like talking and they like talking, you know. So people, so you've got introverts. <clears throat> the interesting thing, um, introverts get their 
power, get their energy from being by themselves, whereas extroverts get their power or energy by being with other people. And they um, they like talking and they talk out their thoughts. So that's how they discover what's actually going on in their head. They've got to talk it out. Whereas introverts, you ask them a question and they'll pause and they'll reflect because they want the answer to be a good one, to be a solid one, and they've thought it through. So they've got to go through the internal consideration. And so there's this pause. So there's some significant difference. So you think, well, leaders, you know, they are born extroverts. So you think, oh, right. So we can tend to go down that track. But the interesting thing is that um, in the book, Good to Great, there was research done. Uh, have you heard of the book, Good to Great? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Collins, yeah Collins, one of those yeah. iconic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so he took 10 companies, five pairs, they were in exactly the same industry and they created about the same time. They went through the same economic ups and downs. One, one flourished, one failed. And so he looked at the, um, to try and identify what was common amongst the ones that flourished. And he came up with some fantastic insights. One of them was what's called level five leadership. Right. Level five leadership, um, and he defined it. But these were the people who were so successful in those that had thrived that not only did they thrive, but five years after they'd left, the legacy of leadership continued. So that was, an, you know, if you talk about how effective is that leader, it's right. when they've gone, they've created a culture which continues of, of success. So the two criteria, or the two elements he saw in common between these leaders, and interestingly, they were um, introverts. So this was a, this was, because that book, um, Good to Great, came out, I think it was about the 80s or something like that. Right. And, and, and so this was a major challenge to the philosophies that you've got to be an extrovert, you've got to be handsome and good looking, you know, all those typical things. I kind of thought of it when I read it as being uh, the strong, silent type. That's probably not completely right. But yeah, that struck me as well. Yeah. So it was a will of iron or a will of steel, but you know, right. if, it's, if it's got to, it's got to happen. If I say it happens, it's got to happen. But extreme humility. Interesting, isn't it? So, right. so if you ask me the question, are they uh, grown or are they born? Yes, there's certain attributes which assist you. Uh, you. You be born with them, but you can absolutely make it. So what do I mean by that is you can look at some mousy housewife whose daughter gets raped and then becomes a spokesperson on behalf of the organization against rape. And you think, what happened? She was not a leader and then she stepped up and became a leader. And that is she had purpose. She had a driving purpose. There was something she cared deeply about. So then you're talking about, well, what moves a person or what they are a servant of or what they want to promote in the world. See, I I have a perspective on leadership that there are no leaders in the world. There are no leaders in the world. There are no leaders in the world. So here we are talking about leaders and I'm supposed to be a leadership development consultant. And I'm coming up going, standing firm and saying there are no leaders in the world. And my reasoning behind that is that we are all followers. What you have as a leader is a more dedicated follower of a purpose. Wow. I'm, I'm writing all these things down, Bruce. So some of us can agree, oh, yeah, I'm I'm sort of interested in that thing over there. But then you have someone who says, no, this thing over here, it's damned important. 
So they are a more dedicated supportive follower of the, and they're prepared to put themselves out on behalf of that thing. So they are more, if you like, more principled. So the question to ask whenever I see a leader is what is it they're following? Or okay. what is it their master? So <clears throat> Simon, at- Simon Sinek has a book called uh, Leaders Eat Last. Right. Uh, and I think that's, probably, uh, I've read it, it's been a while, but I think that's kind of his message too. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you can look at any leader and go, well, by their actions and by their words, what are they supporting? What are they the, the, the servant of? And so that's, so for instance, Jacinda Ardern here in New Zealand, our, our prime minister, when, and, and you know in moments of crisis, that's when our real selves come out. So we had the Christchurch uh, massacre, 51 people killed by a lone gunman two, two, in two locations. And her first place that she went to is You Are Us. So she was talking to the Muslim community, and that's what she became known as, You Are Us. And so you could look at her and say, so what was she following or what was she a servant of? And I would say she was a servant of compassion. She was a servant of respect. She was a servant or a spokesperson of or a representative of or a follower of um, high human dignity. So it's quite a good way of looking at a person, any person, especially a leader, as to what are they a representative of or what are they the spokesperson of or what are they a servant of by their actions and their, their and what they say. So <clears throat> that's why I say there are no leaders. Oh, of I love that. Of course, of course there are leaders. Right. It's, a, it's a nuanced answer, but you sure. know, that's why I say that. Yeah. Well, my dad used to say that a CEO, president of a company, um, and it's congruent with what you're saying, their first job is to replace themselves, uh, which is a little yeah. bit outside of what we're talking about, but it's still uh, to replace themselves. Second job is they're the keepers of the vision for the company. Yeah. And the third is they're the keepers of the culture for a company. Mm. And that's not directly what you're talking about, but they, to keep a vision for the company, there has to be a, a purpose, uh, a personal purpose and a company purpose. And they need to articulate that and they will gather followers who, who identify with that purpose and then also with the leader, but great insights. So if, uh, again, most of our audience is contractors, manufacturers, people like that. Um, they want to become better leaders. Yep. How do they do that? Uh, now, I mean, obviously, one of the things is we'll have your contact information in the show notes. But yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, there is only one way, and that's to sign up with me. <laughs> well, that is that is a way, and if you have no ways at this moment, at least that's a start, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, absolutely. But how? When I talk about vision and culture and things like that with a lot of a lot of uh, small businesses, it yep. kind of falls in that realm of touchy feely again. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm here. I got to make money, and Jim's got to show up at work, or I'm going to have to kick his tail because yep. time you know they're not thinking about it. Yeah. But uh, if if somebody said, you know, I would like to be a better leader, but I'm just a guy or a gal. I just yep. started this company, and I'm I'm just a guy. Yeah. Or or a gal, very much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, 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 
well, first of all, in your experience, why does somebody start to think that? Yeah. Right. Because, yeah. you know, when your student's ready, the teacher appears, but why yeah. do they start thinking about it? And what, what can they do? Yeah, absolutely. So I will give you two levels of answer. And the first level is what is the usual approach to leadership? And if your listeners or maybe you can can draw, I'm going to give you a quick diagram to draw or write down. Okay. If you can draw three circles and uh, like a triangle, <clears throat> so one at the apex at the top, one at interlocking. On the right. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, not interlocking. Just separate, oh, okay. separated. Uh, and so one at three o'clock and one at nine o'clock, one at twelve o'clock. Right. And you can say so. What's essential? Uh, this is the essentials for achieving anything. And we could say in terms of leadership. Exactly the same thing. So you need vision. Okay. That's the one at the top, vision, which is I need some order of clarity about what I want the future to look like. And a leader carries that vision, is able to articulate it far more clearly. In fact, they've seen themselves in it. So it's almost like walking into a house. They can say, there's a window here. There's a door here. We're doing this. We're doing that. It's very clear. They can articulate it. And there's even right. a picture that they can speak to. The second on the right at three o'clock, that circle there is action. And so what you're talking about is, hey, <clears throat> we've got a company, we're contractors, we've got to take action. It's all about the action. It's all around having some order of clarity about the future. We've got to take action. And that could be systems, processes, uh, behaviors, habits, um, planning, reviews. Those are all the whole things associated with taking action. So if you've got vision and you've got action, what's the third thing? And the third thing is, in fact, mindset. So it's how you think about those two things. So your view on them. So you you may have a vision and inside your head we go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. So that's your mindset. And so that will impact or flavor or taint that vision. And equally, I've got to do these things to achieve that vision. You may look at that and go, yeah, ah, easy peasy. And, and they're going to take action. Or you can say, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, and then it's procrastination. So it's avoidance or inaction. Okay. Okay. So what is it a leader needs? You can say uh, clarity about the future. Hey, guys, this is where we're going. This is how it's got to be. Uh, these are the steps we're going to take. And I'm going to tell you specifically, boom, 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 boom. And they will follow that because there's real clarity. Fantastic. But the mindset piece is actually what transfers. What do I mean by that is... If you reflect back as a teacher, you know, primary school, we call them primary and secondary school, but when you're in in education um, and you think of the teachers that you really got the subject, you think, oh, wow, that was inspiring. You know, for me, I had one year I had a really good English teacher. The next year I had a terrible one and I was caused to reflect. And the reason why it was a good one, the first one, was he loved the subject. So his mindset or his passion came out. And I got infused with that. So that's what I mean by the mindset piece, because you can be going through the, the motions with the vision and with the actions. And, yeah, I'll just do what you're bloody told. We're going to get this thing done over here. And I don't give too much information. I mean, and that's it shows my mindset. Or I can be passionate about what I'm doing. And that's what infuses and infuses my followers. Okay. Yes. So... That's around the mindset piece. So I said it's going to op- answer this at two levels. The first one was that. And that um, is is a really good, to me, it's when, you, when I do coaching and someone says I've got, I've got an issue, I'd say, well, where do you think the answer lies in vision? Are you, clear, are you clear or unclear? Or is it action? You need a system, a process, you need accountability. Or is it mindset? 
And so when you're dealing with a person, you've got to be able to help them as a leader in all three. Okay, so that's at the first level, and that's what you it's what I call more traditional or more, there's probably no news in that um, in terms of what, if you read books. I want to take it to a deeper level, and that is, I believe that what lies at the heart of leadership is, in fact, energy. So it's not vision. It's not action, and it's not mindset. They're, they're essential, clearly, but none of those happen if your energy is low. Let me explain. When our energy level is high, we're more open, we're more confident, we're more robust, we're more relaxed, we're more confident, we're more um, generous, uh, we, we can plan, we are creative, we're insightful, we're in the best of ourselves. And in fact, it's easy to be in a leadership state because you're being who you, you're just being yourself, right? When your energy level is high. When our energy level is low, we become more brittle, more blamey, more caustic, more explosive or implosive. goes either way. Um, we become disconnected from ourselves and from others, and we are not in a leadership state. We can't lead. In fact, when energy level is low, the best you can do is manage, which is status keep the status quo, maybe tweak it a little bit, but fundamentally nothing's going to change when your energy level is low. So, and here's the kicker. The job of a leader is to give energy. Just like the job of a parent is to give energy to the child or children, the job of children is to suck their parents' energy. The job of staff is to suck your energy. Now, that's just the natural way of things. You walk onto the, onto the work site uh, or into the room or whatever it is, people will look at you, your staff will look at you, and they will suck your energy. And it's a bit like a baby and a pregnant mother. They will take what they need, whether the mother has plenty of it or not. So if you're low in energy, you walk to work, your staff are going to suck what energy you have, either at distance or they'll come up and they'll want you to give them time, you know, answer this problem, this issue, or maybe there'll be an issue themselves that they want your time to fix. They want your energy. So therefore, the job of a leader, because you said, well, Bruce, where do we start? I think it starts at a very simple place, and that is we need plenty of energy for our own personal well-being, and especially if we're going to be a leader. So now that suggests we need some sense of self. What sucks my energy and what energizes me? And then ideally, how do I optimize that? Because if I'm going to be a leader, I can't afford to be sucked dry. Now, with COVID, we've all been sucked. You know, if you like, we've all been hemorrhaging energy because distraction, uncertainty, um, I've now got to think about a whole bunch of things I've never had to think about before. I mean, is my neighbor going to give me COVID? Can I put my hand on that door handle? Should I wear a mask? You know, all these sorts of things we didn't even have to think about before. So distraction, distraction, so leaking energy. So that's why leaders have found it very hard, especially very hard because everyone looks to them to have the answers. They expect it. But the great thing about that is you can be totally honest and say, sorry, guys, I don't have the answer, but together we do. This is the whole thing about collaboration or bringing the best out in others, bringing brilliance out in others. And I think that's one of the lessons around leadership that's been successful in COVID because the other one, do what you're bloody told. <laughs> People would say, up yours, mate. Right. Um, but to, I don't, and, and no one knows the answers. It's never happened and it's happening across the world. There are no books written on it as it happened. 
So I don't have the answers, but together we can find the answers. Very powerful. Because then I'm listening to you. And that's changed the the dynamic. The you know before, as if you like parent dynamic. I'm the uh, I'm the boss, and you're the employee. Now it changes the dynamic that we appears because I want to really listen to what you have to say. Wow! Right, changes the dynamic, and that's actually very healthy. I believe that's a very healthy dynamic. Um, collaboration is very important. So <clears throat> this area of energy, you said, what what makes for a um, for a leader. So this lady who, mousy housewifey lady whose daughter got raped, she got passionate and she saw meaning. She got energized about a thing. And she went out and she spoke about the thing. And so she had energy to give and there were people, full runs to the empty, there were people listening and said, yeah, right, we look to you. This this is so good. I almost hate to, inter- to uh, interrupt you because I don't want you to lose where you are. But um, the... Which comes first, the the energy or the or the passion? I mean, uh, what passion- comes first is self awareness. Okay. So you've got to be aware that you're passionate about those things. Okay. So it's the self awareness. And that uh, is kind of hard to do without help, is it not? Oh, I mean, um, people sit around and become self aware. Well, typically, we become self aware when something's not working. And you look out there and you try and blame it over there and then that over there and then that over there. And you think, hang on, there's something in common between all of these and what's in common is me. Well, do people do that? I mean, I know, I know people do, but Mm. is Mm. that common that people, as you look around the United States, which uh, there's a lot more angst than just COVID, but with our politics and all that, um, I'm not sure that everybody can become, well, I certainly haven't become self-aware. That's yeah. that seems like a great exercise is to learn how to do that. And my question is, can you just sure somebody has, but can you routinely do that yourself? Yeah, it's a developed skill. So I'll give you see there's a real subtlety to it. And let me ask you a question. This is how subtle it is, because so at the moment I'm saying stuff and you're thinking. Right. As a result of what I'm saying, right? And that thinking is that, that voice in your head saying, oh, Bruce means this. Oh, that triggers this. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a load of crap. But right. there's that voice going inside your head. It's interpreting the outer world. Right. Okay. Got it. So <clears throat> that's your brain interpreting the outer world, making sense. The brain is a sense-making machine. So here's my question. Are you your thoughts? <laughs> Do we have time for that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit philosophical. No, no, no I, I, I understand that epistemological. Yeah. Are you guys? Do you guys even exist? Except that I'm sitting here seeing you because you're not even real. I'm anyway. That's another yeah. philosophical approach. But yeah. Um. Well, so you want an answer to that? <laughs> yeah. Just you know, off the top of your head, or maybe well, maybe I'm gonna, you can. I'm going to say yes. I, yes, I am. But I've reached that. Okay. Level. And, of and I think. I think most people, there's stuff going on in their head and they speak it out or they react from that and that's who they are because that's what's coursing through their body. But here's a second approach. Is there a part of you that can observe the thoughts that you're having in your head? 
So, you know, if we went quiet, we're not going to, but if we went quiet and, and I said, okay, now, can you observe the thoughts that you're having? You go, yeah, I can step back and, oh, there's that thought and there's that thought. Why did I think that? What does yeah, that mean? Yeah, that's a curious thought. And, you know, so there's this other part. And the analogy, it's a bit like spectator versus participant. So on a, on a football field, um, you've, you're playing the game. And that's when most people are in life and having thoughts and are just participating and coming out and what they're thinking, they're speaking. And then you've got the spectator who's in the, in the I think you call them bleachers, but in the, in, the, in the seats on the side, observing the game. And there can be part of you that can observe your reactions to things and your thoughts. And I would submit that you are the thing, the entity, the whatever, that observes your thoughts. Okay. And so it's a separation out. And so you can, you, that observer part looks and goes, wow, Bruce is angry at the moment. Or later he can reflect and go, yesterday, as I reflect back, he said that and she reacted or he reacted that, someone else reacted a certain way. Oh, I'm not sure if that thought process and what he's, you know, what you said there, Bruce, was was on target. So that's the beginnings of self-awareness is that there's another part in you that gets to observe and gets to make assessments and decisions about what you've just done. So I can look back and go, oh, I really regretted saying X. And that was the observer part of me watching the bit that actually played in the game and going, oh, you said the wrong thing there, mate. And therefore, this one up here, and I think this one, the one that's in the, in the bleachers, actually has more power to say, hey, mate, don't do that. Do it. Don't do that. Do this. You know, so, one of the things uh, that I talk about frequently, matter of fact, my mission in my coaching is to eliminate suffering from small business. Okay. Right, yeah. The suffering that I deal with comes from two sources. And one I call self-limiting beliefs, which, which is yeah. what we're talking about here today. The other yeah. is lack of knowledge uh, or information and the knowledge to use it, which are skills. But those are the two yeah. things. Yeah. Nice. And nice. The, the mindset, which you're much deeper into it, but the mindset, I have clients walking around as self every Everybody, tell me if, if you disagree, sets their limits. I mean, somebody like Steve Jobs or Richard Branson, their limits are so much higher that I can't even see them. But I talk about this stuff all the time and my wife catches me setting my own limits. And I, yeah. I yeah. think about this. I'm in the bleachers thinking about it and yeah. I still set my own limits. Yeah. Yeah. Clients. I, I heard a guy say the other uh, day, folks like us don't blank. Okay. Right. Really? Right. Yeah. Folks yeah. Like us don't. Yeah. And until it, until I catch them on it, I guess the thing I'm talking about is how does it get started to realize that you're on the bleachers and you can do something about it, that you're responsible for yourself, that you can become self-aware and that yeah. you can make changes. And I have to deal with that with virtually every client I have yeah, to a greater or lesser extent. And yeah. I'm kind of the catalyst in that. I'm not saying I always uh, create Nirvana, but I'm the yeah, catalyst yeah. in that by challenging things that I hear. Yeah. How does the listener, of course, they're listening to you right now, so maybe this will start it. How does a guy driving around suddenly say, you know what, I'm going to change? It just happens spontaneously or does it take 
listening to this podcast or? Yeah, so um, the actual tip can happen anytime. It might be in this podcast, there's something said that triggers someone that goes, oh, right, now's the time. Typically, we've got to experience real pain. Ah. Typically, it's called agitation or it's called being stuck, constipation. This feels horrible. I just, I've got to get out of here. I don't know what it is. I don't know. And we, we, at that point, we actually make a decision. I can't stay here. Now, what that. That, what that means is I need help. Mate, can you help? I'm stuck over here. So the self-awareness is I'm in such pain, such agitation, and I can no longer live with it. Now, what we tend to do is we feel pain and we handle it, or we feel pain and we numb it. But if the pain continues and it gets too big and we still continue to numb it, we, we, it's almost like it wants, to come out and, it wants to come out, but we push it back down again. And it becomes such a constipated mess that, you know, we just totally recoil and become isolated and so on. Or you go to a mate and say, mate, I feel like crap. I need help. So it's probably at that point where they've been boiling on it. They've been sitting in it for quite a long time. So it might be that something is said today triggers them, but they would have been sitting on it and sitting with it for a long time first. Right before they make so I, I love that uh jim Rohn, whom i'm sure you know who he is but mm. he says uh the word disgust is uh, right, right, right. is a wonderful thing he said it has yeah. a negative connotation in most people's mind but he said no it's great it's when you've suffered long enough and, yeah. and in a business context and you say yeah. damn it i'm not doing this anymore i'm yeah. going to raise my prices fire that guy bid yeah. it whatever it is or yeah. I'm going to go broke because I'm just not doing this anymore. And that's when they break through. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's not necessarily leadership, but it sounds like we're on the same. Well, that is self-leadership. Self-leadership. In that moment, that is self-leadership. It's saying, I don't actually know what I want, but I know what I don't want. So I'm going to head over here or right. I'm at least going to look over here. So that's you expressing self-leadership. Wow. That's, and, uh, that's another one I wrote down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, when there's uh, infinite amount of information out there that says you have to have a why. And yeah. what do you think about that? I mean, having the vision mm. isn't necessarily a why. Um, no, it's not. That's two different so things. So what, yeah. what do you think about having a why? Crucial, fundamental, okay. essential. You, okay. Yeah. I, so A lot of people struggle with that yeah you know yeah, what is your yeah, purpose yeah. what is your why well i'm going to make money go to feed my family well yes but that's yes. not a motivational next level why yeah yeah absolutely so how do you suggest people discover their why yeah so i i do have a process and um so i'll share the two prepare like preparatory exercises i get people to do to warm them up into the area and the first is, and you can do both exercises on the one sheet. Okay. So the first, so um, if you've got a sheet of paper and you do a north south, so uh, um, so it's in landscape, landscape right. page okay. rather than portrait landscape. Yeah. Um, there's a north south on the left hand side, and there's an x y um, horizontal line right. that goes in the middle. Okay. So you've got an equal, you know, above and below the line, and then That's on the left hand side. Sorry, say again? Four squares. No, no, not oh, four no. squares. 
So the line is right next to the left-hand margin. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So up, up down, north-south is next to the left-hand side of the page, okay. but in the middle of the page is the uh, XY, which is the horizontal. Okay. So on the extreme right of the horizontal line is your current age, whatever that is. Just put that in. Oh, I got to get and, another piece of paper and. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, where the the two intersect is zero, which is where you're born. Right. So okay. the line that goes across the page is your life. Right. Okay. So the first exercise is to consider what were the defining moments of your life. So, oh, there's a defining moment when I was eight because I came off my bike and my foot had to be amputated or whatever it was, right? right. So you go through and you think, now these could be positive. So it could be above the line, could be positive experiences, or it could be negative. And, and it's probably going to be negative because those are the ones that really stand out. Okay. Um, and so if it's deeply negative, then obviously it's down to the bottom of the page. Or if it's highly a joyful experience, then it's near the, high, near the, the top of the page. But, you know, I had a defining moment. And, and we typically don't have that many. Um, if I think back on my life, I probably, you know, I could probably name about three or four, five, perhaps something mm-hmm. like that. So don't worry if you don't get many. Um, but they are standout. Did I say to you? So you're going down one track, you're going a certain route, and then your life changed. So I'll give you a very quick one for me uh, as an example. So I was 17, nearly the end of my secondary school year. A uh, secondary school, um, I don't know what you guys call it, um, yeah. but I was 17ish, and um, I, was, I went over to the Philippines, um, and I was there for, oh, I don't know, two weeks, and I was being billeted by some really wealthy people, really wealthy family. Um, went in, I've never seen anything like it. They were, um, it was uh, a guarded or walled mm-hmm. settlement. You had to go in through gates, and when you got to their house, it was 12-foot-high walls, palatial house, so much money that you had servants that were cutting the grass with scissors. Right, <laughs> um, make it work. Yeah. Um, now, I got there in the evening. There were about six sons. So, was, you know, they're Catholic environment, lots of large families. Next morning, we got into the van and went out through the, the gates of the house to the gates of the, um, the the compound. The neighborhood, yeah. In the neighborhood. Went out to the first set of traffic lights and stopped. And it was at that point, the van got descended on by uh, beggars. Right. I'd never seen beggars coming from New Zealand. And some of them were really grotesque, you know, scarred faces and mangled hands and things. And who knows whether that's how they're born or whether they were, you know, whatever, who knows. But it was such a a traumatizing moment for me. I looked at it and I thought, God, I mean, what what do you do with that? Because in New Zealand, we're all, you know, reasonably well off and, you know, there's lower class, but nothing like that, nothing like the poverty. We didn't have beggars ever. and I looked at the guys to see what was their reaction. And they were oblivious because they grew up with it, right? They're just doing whatever they're doing. And in that moment of contradiction, I could not understand the inequity of the wealth that I was experiencing and the poverty that I saw. And so in that moment, I thought, I need to learn about this. And so when I went to university, that's one of the reasons why I studied politics, to find out what the hell this is all about. That was a defining moment for me. So. That would be, you know, I'd go along the line, 17, put a cross. And so what you do is the what was it and why was it defining? So what was it? It was the event at the crossroads with the beggars. Why was it defining? 
it caused me to deeply question my own naivety about how could this inequity live in the world. And there's a third question which goes into what was it really about? And that caused you to reflect into it. So what was it? Why was it a defining moment? And what was it actually about? So that third question you reflect on later. You, you, once you've seen the map being filled out, you reflect back on it. Okay, so the, that's the first exercise, which is the defining moments. The second exercise, which can be done on the same page, is peaks and pits, meaning the real high points in your life. So you could say, wow, I had this girlfriend when I was this age, or I got this shiny new bike when I was that age, or I did whatever, high point at a certain age. Again, it's what, why, and what was it actually about in terms of each of those points. Now, my recommendation would be that you go for far more negatives, pits, because it's in those that you get to see because a pit is when you've been scratched. You know, things haven't been going so well and you feel pain, which is because you've been exposed. And the things that we're exposed, we feel the pain of because you and I can do the same thing and expose the same thing, but it doesn't impact you as much as it does me because somehow it's much more precious to me. So the pits are actually far more telling um, around what's really important to you. So what were the pits in your life? You so know, you say, I, well, I'll just say this in passing uh, because I told this to a friend not too long ago, and here I am saying it on a podcast, but I can remember every bad thing I've ever done in my life. Right. And pro probably not, but I can remember a lot. And if you ask yeah, me yeah, to yeah. list them, as you've just done, I would have a hard time doing it. Yeah. But walking around and I might see something and – and they, I, I don't know where you're going exactly with this, yep. but there's a theme to what yeah. I consider to be the bad things that I've done in my life. And, and they really have driven what I'm doing now mm, mm. and why I'm different. Although I still mess up sometimes and those really hurt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still do it sometimes, but that, yeah, so that's really interesting. You're yeah. on the right track. So for me, you could say a pit was when I got eviscerated by this leader, mm -hmm. but that caused me to learn about leadership. So I would put that in there, That this, and I can't remember exactly how old I was, but that would be in there, right? So on each one, top and bottom, peaks and pits and the defining moments, there's the what was it? So it was when I was eviscerated by this guy. Why did it hurt? Because I felt so exposed. I felt betrayed by a leader. And then what was it actually about? That's the third question that you go, well, I don't know. But now you've got both exercises on the one page. What you're looking to do is what is the common theme around all of them? Right. And that's where really you answer. Good all. and bad? Yeah, good and bad. Yeah, the whole lot, the defining moments, the good and the bad. And that's where you begin to reflect. So what were all of these actually about? So that third question was what was it actually about? Um, where the insight comes in. Huh? Is where the insight comes in. So self-reflection. Now, all of this is to get you into the territory of your purpose. And it does. Because for me, as an example, um, the times that I felt my highest elation was when I felt relaxed, when I felt at ease, when I felt at home. The t most of my childhood grew up in a single-parent family, didn't feel very comfortable at home, lived a very self-sufficient life, 
felt really awkward at home and I was awkward at school and not many friends. I didn't feel like I belonged. So again, there's a theme around home. So I picked that up. You know, there's something around home. And the way I work when it comes to putting together what I call a resonant purpose statement, it's two to five words. Why two to five? Because it's easy to remember. Um, So I knew when I went through this, I knew it was something to do with home because it's something I really want. I wanted to feel at home in my body and myself and who I was, and I didn't. I felt insecure. I wanted to feel at home on this planet. You know, what the hell is going on? This makes no sense to me. And I, you know, I was walking around bewildered. And so, but I also, I believe that you know, we came from somewhere, we go somewhere. I wanted to know what home was in terms of the greater home. And so, and I knew I was on the right track. There was something about home. And so I played with it. And so for me, um, it's knowing home. My phrase is knowing home. And knowing home, full stop, sharing home. What that means is, what does it mean to feel at home in your own body? That is, that's the whole mindset piece. So feel relaxed, feel open, feel confident, confident, feel, so that's when we talk about the high energy piece. Um, what does it mean to feel at home on this planet? Even in face of everything else that's going on at the moment, you go, God, is it possible? Yeah, you've got to work at it. And then, you know, you may not want to go there where I go in terms of, you know, I believe there's, there is another life when we die but so no home share home so my whole life you ask me about my i'm living my purpose i teach my you know i'm inside i'm i'm plugged into perpetual energy supply when i'm doing what i'm doing i just love it so to answer this is a really long-winded way of answering the question around is purpose important to me it's absolutely crucial absolutely fundamental because you're plugging yourself into the energy of life. Mm-hmm. If I know what I'm supposed to be here for and I get on and do it, it's energized. So I've got a thing called the philosophy of energy that when you're doing and thinking what you're meant to be doing and thinking you're energized, when you're not, you're exhausted. So it's almost like think of it bullseye. If you're in the bullseye, you're energized, you're feeling great. Right. If when you move further away from that, you feel more and more tired, more and more fatigued, more and more empty, more and more directionless, stuck, whatever. So I believe that energy is, in fact, our GPS, our guiding, prompting signal. And your your thing, your passions, your purpose will be different to mine. But when you do it, and I'd say the fact that you, it's something to do with teaching and coaching because you love it. So I love it, right. Yeah, there you go. So you're probably already living your purpose. You may not just have phrased it yet. Mm-hmm. But when you've got those words they are it's like there's a there's this it, it just causes um trembling throughout the body it's why i call a resonant I, vision i i have phrased it but uh my problem is it's uh, almost trite because uh, my purpose is helping people yeah uh, help others but that's so that's not uh insightful thing to say but it's true because i get paid and i help people yeah. sometimes i get paid when i'm not helping people Sometimes I help people when I'm not getting paid. What I really like is helping and getting paid. But if I'm getting paid and not helping people, in other words, we're not getting results, they're paying me and I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm very uncomfortable. I don't like it. I'm either we're going to figure something out or we're yeah. not going to work yeah. together anymore because I can't stand it. And you yeah. sit there and say, why not? They're giving you thousands of dollars every month. I say, well, 
because anyway, so you're out of I, I have phrased it. I don't think I've phrased it cleverly, but it really is. Hey, to the question is, yeah, the question is not whether you've phrased it cleverly. It's whether when you think it or say it, it, it energizes you. Yeah. If it does that, that's the only criteria. And when I talked about energy and leadership, if you're talking about leadership levels of energy, it's eight, eight and above. So I'd say to you is when you say that phrase or think that phrase, does it energize you at an eight out of 10 level? And if you go, yeah, okay, bingo, you got it. Right. You don't have to have fantastic words. The the words don't, but the thought when I translate the words into a picture of someone uh, do. So they do have that effect. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, you, well, one thing I think you touched on it, and maybe you're going to, but the name of your company, your organization, your your program, maybe is Flowpreneur. Yeah, yeah and I'm sure. presuming that subtends from flow. Yeah. Okay. So, and what, yeah. so can you work define flow? Uh, people say yeah, the zone okay. a lot, but uh, yeah, true. So Flowpreneur, obviously a made up name, and preneur is around drive and mojo, spirit, get up and go. You know that. That's what that relates to. The flow piece, yes, that does relate to in the zone. Um, the definition, technical definition, is is an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. Now, that's you know a bit of a technical definition. But we've all been in flow. We've all had experiences of flow at different times. Um, a, a game of football and... Uh, what was interesting is that a team sport... You think, well, why are team sports so attractive? And you can have a, a terrible game, but you're in the same team, or you can have this fantastic game, win or lose, you still have this fantastic What is it? And what it is they've found is that it's almost like the team becomes like a hive mind, that it's only one mind and everyone knows what to do and where to be and they're in exactly the right moment and you look around and it can only happen for a couple of seconds or maybe a bit longer. You look around and the ball passes to you and you knew what to do and someone was there and somehow at the corner of it, we didn't even see it and you pass that over there and boom, 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 goal scored or whatever. So, and that hey, by, is... By the, by the way, Ethan up there in the picture is a state champion soccer player. So... Oh, there you go. Yeah, so, so he's, he's nodding when you're talking about the boom, boom, boom and no look. Yeah, happened. yeah. Anyway, sorry. And, that, and that's, the, that's the moment. That's actually why you play the game is for those moments, those precious moments. In that, your self, your self-consciousness is gone. And you're, it's almost like you're hyper alert, and it feels extraordinary. I remember for me, one was, um, again, I was around I don't know, 17, 18. We were tramping, which is going through the bush with a pack on our back. Right. Um, we got to the other side where the hut was, took our packs off. I was really knackered, but I went up the top of the hill to see where we were. And on the way down, I started to run, and then I started to sprint down this hill, creepers, rocks, branches, dangerous as all heck. But for a few moments, I felt like I was flying. That my body, the environment, I knew where to put my feet, I knew how to lean. It was glorious. In fact, so intoxicating. Every tramp I went on, and even now I do trail running, and I think it started back then, is um, I was looking for another track to run to recapture that feeling. Being in the flow feels so good. Mm -hmm. So... That's what they mean, optimal state of consciousness, yada, yada. Now, you can have 
you can be in the flow with someone at work, you get lost in a conversation and it goes deep and it goes fast and you lose sense of self-consciousness. Um, and you, you get lost in the moment. It's what they call the deep now. Deeply satisfying, deeply productive, deeply insightful, um, highly memorable. Okay, so the whole flowpreneur concept is for most people getting back into flow is haphazard or arbitrary or they fly, they fall into it, don't know how they got there. And, um, but it's those, actually those knee bending moments where we feel life is beautiful and, and it's worth living. So what flowpreneur is about is how do we get back on a regular systemized basis so that it can become a systemized part of, of, of everyday life. Yeah. Beautiful. So that's the concept behind it. If you're uh, I think I saw it, Either we talked about it when we we, we spoke several months ago, uh, mm. or maybe I saw it on your website. But it seemed to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that you have kind of a four step process that if you're working with people, beginning with mindset and yeah, yeah, that, yeah, correct? sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you kind so, of describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at energy as crucial, um, the three questions to answer there is: so I, if I need a consistent eight out of 10 energy level to feel well-being and we do then what sucks our energy and there is one thing head and shoulders above anything else because i've always say to most people what do you think sucks your energy what causes you anxiety they go well him over there or her over there or my kids or bank account or covid or whatever it is and stuff out there but in fact the one thing that causes distress stress and ruptures our energy is in fact that inner voice that I was telling you about. It's called an inner critic. I can't do this. This is overwhelming. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm inexperienced enough. Uh, so I'm not experienced enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not good looking enough. That's the inner voice that goes on in our head. And that is exhausting. So the first module, therefore, as you mentioned, the first module, Mind State, it addresses that. So it helps plug the holes in the energetic sieve or the energetic colander. Um, and I'm, my approach is not one of mindfulness and meditation and breath work and yoga, and which is you know 99% of what's out there. I go uh, a process called neurosculpting, which is so the other stuff is, is good. It works, but it's slow and it's general. I'm interested in fast and specific. So that's that neurosculpting piece that gets taught in there. So that addresses energy leakage. Then we go to module two, which is called motivators, which is, what tops us up with high quality energy? And so here, no surprise, is where purpose sits. So there's curiosities, there's passions, there's autonomy, there's um, purpose, there is gratitude. And that's what goes into, these are all the things that nature has built into us to cause us to be energized by. The third module is called mastery. And that is, it's looking to address the, knowing doing gap so i hear things but i'm not implementing so how do i implement this good knowledge that i've learned on a consistent basis called how do i generate a habit okay. and so that whole mastery section is around habit creation and bad habit destruction so practicality around that so breaking it down uh, and then the final module, the fourth module, is on flow itself, which is the neuroscience or the triggers 
an understanding about what causes, enables, and what stops flow from happening. And so that's that's the whole flowpreneur. It's around okay. energy. Get your energy up, and you're halfway there. So I'm an American, and I obviously want results right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say that facetiously, but how no, long does it take does. for people to transform and at least see the result? I mean, start seeing results pretty quickly, and then is it a yeah. lifetime exercise to become better and better and better, or or is yeah. it just like so oh man? There's two transformations. The first happens really fast, and that's the whole mindset stuff. That's when you come to see, oh, it's not that, it's that. Ah, oh. and you feel like weights off your shoulders. And so that, the first module is, is arguably the most powerful because it moves you into a state of openness, relaxedness, confidence. It lifts your energy, right? Right. So that happens really fast. That's high impact. Um the slow, there's fast and there's slow transformation. The slow transformation is the implementation, is building it into your lifestyle called habits, habit generation. And then the question is, well, how long does it take to build a habit? It's actually the wrong question. It's because once it's established, it's part of your life. You never stop it. <laughs> so if you're looking to do a different, do something different, that's a slow transformation, but you see you're a different person over time. You know, I have, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. Well, what what type of people um, do contact you and make these changes? Do they tend to be men and or women, or do they tend to be people people with a crisis? Or um... uh, so first off, it's it's men or ladies. And um, what I have found they have in common is that they have a sense as to who they can be in the world, and something is blocking or stopping them doing that. So. Uh, it could be self-doubt. It could be worry, overwhelm. It's, they're not able to get to the person. So there's a there's a sense. It's quite a deep sense of of being out of integrity with themselves. So, um, as an example, there was a uh, a lady, and she's a barrister. She was working works in the area of appeals, so an appellate barrister, and she didn't want to be. She just wanted to be good. She wanted to be great, but she had been publicly called out by a judge and ripped apart and so she now had severe self-doubt and that was what she came to me with is that she just couldn't see past she was worried she had physical nausea she was procrastinating she was so to live the life that she dreamed that is to be an appeals barrister was killing her because of what was going on inside her head and she couldn't mm -hmm. get past it um Another guy or a guy, um, he's a chairman of, uh, of a, of a or he, he, he runs a board and he's a, he's a senior guy. Uh, he would drive to work and just couldn't get out of the car. He'd lost his mojo, didn't know why. And everything was an effort. So he had a deep sense of who he wanted to be and where he wanted to be, but just couldn't get there and was flailing and self-doubting himself and you know, I could barely see. And he's supposed to be a leader, right? right. How do you give energy when you've got none in yourself? Um, so the sort of people, um, they, uh, they, they've already begun the journey of personal development. That is, they know that they can be more and they've probably looked into it a little bit. And so they have an awareness, but that, that awareness has shown them that they've got stuff that they can't work through. So 
those are typically the sort of people. Um, One other question, because I've dealt with uh, friends and then also business owners, and I will use the word clinically depressed. But I mean, it's okay. not. It's not just. It it, it is not just a bad attitude, whether they're on medication or not. But sure. can, can the same exercises uh, and disciplines and methodologies uh, maybe not eliminate but improve people who are depressed? Yeah. So when you think about, uh, let me tell you a story about a famous rugby player in New Zealand. So the equivalent is your American football. Right. Um, now. He was a star, I think it was about 18, when he was in the All Blacks. I don't know if you've heard about the All Blacks, but if you look on the uh, in the internet for the best professional team of all time ever in any sport across any country. Well, you get the Oklahoma Sooners. You get oh, yeah. the All Blacks in the top 10 twice. Are these the guys that do the dance before the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm leaving. I've seen those guys. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Happened to be in New Zealand. Oh, I, I well, lo and behold... Yeah, we do have Stephen Adams up here, although he just left. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he just got traded. But go ahead. We're yeah. running your story. So um, John Kerwin is his name. He was on the wing, very fast, um, highly respected, got to the All Blacks, I think maybe about 20, and was just carving through the opposition. Now, there was a moment where in the game he got past the ball. There was no one else there. That's the try line, which is, I don't know what you guys call it, but you've got to pass a line yeah. um, and drop down afterwards. Yeah. And and it was in front of him. He should have, I mean, a couple of steps and he's there, right? He dropped the ball. Obvious goal, uh, obvious try, what we call a try, um, but he fumbled. And he said at that point, he became incredibly critical on himself. So remember I was talking about those two voices. You've got one voice and you got another. That other voice was going, hammering him like a very loud noise in his head saying, you idiot, you've messed up again. He became uh, hypercritical about everything about himself. And what that did, because it was, think of it as an internal bully. It was leaking energy. So you imagine saying to yourself in a loud voice, you idiot. Right. You're always like that. Why can't you know? You imagine that, and it's exhausting, right? And he said, "What was interesting is that he's very one of the very first men of note because All Blacks, real tough guy. Um, It's a very testosterone-y, full-on, full-contact sport, right? These are hefty he men." he was, he was one of the first, if not the first, to acknowledge his vulnerability and say that he had depression. And he's written books about it, and he's now the spokesperson on behalf of men's mental health and so on. But he's written books about his going through the process. He gave, gave him a purpose. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Now, if you take it back, he recognized that it all started from the point when he dropped the ball and he self-criticized. So he began hammering himself and it leaked energy. So when we're talking about depressed, you see clinically depressed people, it's actually the voice in their head talking. That's, that's talking and yelling. And in the end, it's a bit like um, uh, what they call beaten wife syndrome, where in the end they, they, they just give up and they just comply. It's a bit like he complied to his own bully, mm-hmm. and, and in the end he lost, you know, he could no longer play rugby and lost the skills and all the rest of it. He became a vegetarian, you know, by comparison, 
nice guy, but vegetable compared to how he was. So what we're talking about is it starts with a voice in the head and it's understanding what that is and getting to see whether in fact what the voice is saying is true or not. So was he an idiot? No. Was he always getting it wrong? No. Was he pathetic? No. But that was what the voice was saying very loudly. And so that was what the body said. Oh, so this is what you want us to be like. Pathetic, lousy, hopeless. All right, well, we'll do that for you. And loss of energy. And when you have low energy for a long period of time, it's called depression. Bruce, um, a couple couple more questions. We've been on here. This has been really good. Um, First thing I want to ask you is, is there something I haven't brought up that's important? that our listeners need to hear. Uh-huh, <laughs> it's a yeah. question that I didn't ask uh, that I should have and you'd like people to know. Yeah, absolutely. And when we did that exercise around defining moments and peaks and pits, mm-hmm. and, um, and I said, do spend time on the pits because it's the pits that can actually drive you and cause a defining moment. I gave you one about this guy who eviscerated me and put me on the path of leadership. Now, I'm an introvert, and one of the reasons why I got into um, the mindset work is because I don't know if I ever had depression. I I was never assessed with it, but I've had extreme self-doubt, extreme lack of confidence. And when I had my own business, um, started 2002, I was fascinated by leadership, but I played small. I um, I did what you usually did, but stru- str- you know struggled. So you, you have incremental growth, but I was never really that satisfied. Now, fast forward, because we were talking about well, what moves you into a state of leadership and self-leadership, and I said, well, extreme pain. Um, in 2016, started in 2015, we've got two daughters, Danny, uh, at the time, was 24, moved to 25. And at the age of 25, she got diagnosed with lymphoma cancer. And nine months later, passed. So that was devastation. Couldn't imagine. You you expect your parents to die before you. And whilst it's painful and there's massive grief and a rupturing, it's not, doesn't feel unnatural. But when you have your daughter dying, it just, at an existential level, it just cracked me open. And I, fe- I literally felt like I was naked in the universe, just floating in the universe. At a deep level, and I came to realize that I had a fundamental belief, if you do good in the world, good, good things happen. And so that got absolutely broken because this was not a good thing. Let alone the actual pain of what she went through in chemo. I'm sure people listening with to this will have actually experienced people with cancer and the chemo. I mean, it's carpet bombing, bombing the body. It's horrific. Anyway, without going into all of what she went through, uh, one of the elements of lymphoma cancer is that over time your muscles melt. And so you can't walk, then you can't pick things up, then you can't suck through a straw and so on. And so I had a conversation with her uh, the last person actually to have a long, I had a three hour conversation with her three days before she died. 
And in that conversation, it was uh, it was incredibly powerful because the role of father daughter, which is how you usually refer to you, and you have a conversation, you're coming out of that place. It was gone, and it was life to life because she was already partway gone. She she was departing. You know she she was leaving her body because she the body couldn't do things. She was very clear that she was dying and not very far away. So the level of conversation, there were no filters. And, and she said, Dad, ask me anything you want, no secrets. And in that moment, I just felt this, um, I mean, it was life to life. And I couldn't, I had to, I had to be totally honest and come out from my life. I couldn't pretend, I couldn't, because it was such a potent meeting and it was in that state that she said dad you've got to promise me something and I said what's that she said you've got to step up now in that moment it's almost like she'd seen into my soul and she'd seen my own personal anguish self-doubt lack of confidence and playing small and said enough and she didn't say what that stepping up was but in that moment of course (laughs) you can't say no I'm not going to uh, you say yes with every fiber of your being. And so as a consequence, um, that was one. It's, there are a whole series of what I call Danny's gifts. And that was one that out of that extreme pain, um, I was clamoring for what does stepping up mean? And so for me, it's meant going global, which is how you and I met, you know, mm-hmm. podcasts and so forth. And all putting together. That, see, that was another reason why Flowpreneur um, consistently high performance or peak performance was what is the antidote to stress? Because she'd been through, we all have cancer cells in us or cancer viruses in us, Mm -hmm. but what triggers it is the stress of the environment or sometimes toxins and things. And she'd been through extreme stress. And so part of my stepping up was how do you provide the tools to overcome this extreme stress, which is where the whole VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, Mm -hmm. and ambiguous, that whole thing comes from is, and, and, and it's right, we're living in VUCA on steroids. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous. How the heck do we get through? It all equals stress. So what is stress? What causes stress? And that's why I, I go into the whole energy piece because stress leaks our energy, but what causes stress, 95% of it is the inner critic, our interpretation of what's going on in the outer world, which is why I've spent so much time focusing on that area. So in terms of me stepping up, in terms of my own self-leadership, in terms of promoting what it is that I do and so on, um, that came out of pain, extreme pain. Uh, I don't know. I can't state whether we're far more motivated by, by pain than we are by pleasure. So I don't know. I haven't investigated. I can't state that we've got to go through extreme pain to step into leadership. I think sometimes... You're going from good to great. You're good to go through self-leadership. But certainly in my experience, we eject ourselves out of pain. So pain is an incredible motivator. I uh, I agree with that. We always talk uh, with people about if you don't have pain and or pleasure, it uh, has to be greater than the resistance to change. Yeah. And yeah. pleasure being a vision for the future. But it really is. That's why my mission statement is to eliminate suffering in small business. 
because oh, I see a lot more of that. People don't yeah. come dancing in here and say, I made 35 million last year. I want to make 37. There are people like that and we sometimes get there, but that's not why they come usually. Yeah. yeah, yeah get yeah. out of pain. And yeah, so totally. I, yeah. I really appreciate your telling that uh, story, Ruth. That's very candid and, and open up of you. Um, and in the, I have one statement and one more question for you. Sure, sure. Um, there's a book called Unf Yourself. Have you heard of that book by Gary John Bishop? It's on, un- uh, it's the uh, word spelled out. I think he had yeah, the yeah, same word in yeah, yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, And it, yeah, it, it looks like a little bit of a glib deal, but he's actually pretty good. And one of the takeaways out of there, he's quote some studies. He said, we all have 50,000, around 50,000 thoughts per day. Yeah. Every one of them is a conversation with yourself. Yeah. My addendum to that is what are you saying? So exactly. completely yeah. congruent with what you're talking about. And so that would be my, my last real yeah. question here is a listener who is intrigued. I think that I was going to try to recap everything you said, but I got four pages of notes and I can't really read them. I was writing so fast, but they can listen to this again. Sure. Uh, but that's the one, the one thing is listen to what you said to yourself this morning. I'm a loser. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. get it. That guy's a big sophisticated guy and I'm just a little guy uh, or yeah. ma- maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're arrogant. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The thing you said was the, uh, your rugby player, uh, was, uh, all okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't, you didn't ever mention tears. I know rugby players don't cry, but but I have, I always think, and I'm thinking of my, of our audience here, a bunch of contractors as being tough, yep. tough people, women and, you know, women and men, they're both, they're tough people. And I used to think that when I started coaching, but not every client, uh, but I've had a lot of big old boys sitting in my office crying. Yeah. We get there after a while. And I, and I hope it's not because my coaching skills are that bad. <laughs> <laughs> And you are my check. And I don't get it. No, I, I tend to naturally think, wow, look at this guy. He's a physical presence. You know, he's doing pretty well. He's driving nice stuff. He looks good. He's authoritative. And a couple of months later, we're sitting in there and the tears well up. Yeah. And you say, well, by golly, what do you know? He, they're, mm. they're people too. And yeah. I, I am not mocking that. I am 100% yeah, yeah. opposite of that. So, yeah. If, if you had one takeaway, somebody listening saying, you know, I'm going to go home, kiss, kiss my wife or my husband and go to bed. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to do one thing. Do you have a one thing that they can do that hmm. action item in your, you know, vision, uh, action item and mindset? One yeah. thing that can kind of carry over that they could get started with this. Well, I could go. At a high, I mean, I could go flow technical, or I could go what's most meaningful and what's most energizing. And oh, let me, let me, I'll, t- I'll tell a bit of a story and then I'll give you the answer. Okay. Um, and so, as uh, cavemen or in our Homo erectus days, Homo sapien days, but when we weren't sophisticated modern day people, um, they would go out hunting the the mammoth or whatever 
and they lived by a fundamental belief. I only found this out recently, and I don't know whether it's made up, but it certainly is a powerful story, that they learned that you kill it and you eat what you can. Where do you put the surplus food? And, and okay, you carry it and take it back to the tribe. But if there's any, if there's, um, what you do is you make sure the surplus food goes into the very safest place it can. And where's the safest place? Into the guy that you're with, into your friends. You feed them because they'll be able to take care of you. And if he's thinking the same thing, he feeds me because I would take care of him. And I thought, okay, true or not, it's a, it's a really good story that what do you do with wisdom? What do you do with um, insight? You give it away. You put it in the most valuable vessel that you can. So in answer to your question, I'm not going to give you a flow science answer. It is tell someone precious to you that you love them. Wow. You know, my dad, uh, I'm just saying, but it's the same thing. It just popped in my mind. My, my, my father long died in 95, long gone, but he wrote a little poem and he said, when you are blue, find something to do for someone who's bluer than you are. Oh, wow. Matt, just tell them I love them. Go do something for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So, so you fill them up because yeah. they will then fill well, you, you up. You're worried about yourself and your own problems. You go help somebody. And what, I mean, you've said it. I know Ethan feels that way. I feel this way is that we're all motivated by helping other people. I, yeah. At some level, I think virtually everybody is. Yeah. And that's kind of the point of, of what sounds to me like you said, tell somebody you love them and then help somebody else. And yeah. it's a, it's kind of a, it, it's certainly true of my Christian friends and my belief that when you give, it comes back yeah. in, in quantities. So, yeah. Yeah. wow, thank you for that. How can listeners find you? And do you want, will we accept some emails or we can just give them your website? We'll put it in the show notes, but... Yeah, sure. I mean, happy. Yeah, email is great. Um, Bruce at flowpreneur, F L O W, preneur, P R E N E U R dot co. CO dot com dot CO, right? Dot CO, yeah, right. not com. Or look me up on LinkedIn. So, Bruce Ross, um, New Zealand. Okay. Um, or just look up at the website flowpreneur dot co. And this podcast is your podcast, or soon to be your podcast yeah. there. Um, any and all of the above, yeah. Well, I tell you what, Bruce has really, uh, I wish Khalil had been here too. Khalil uh, would really have enjoyed this and will. I, I hope maybe at some point you meet him, at least virtually. Right. He's uh, he's another compassionate guy, he really is. So Fantastic. Thank well, you. thank you very much for your time and your effort. And uh, we will certainly let you know when this is, uh, published so Bruce thank you let's stay in touch absolutely okay. terrific I'll see you thanks for listening to the cash flow contractor check out our website in the show notes or visit the cashflowcontractor.com